Thanks for tuning in to Why Life Science, a podcast produced by the Bean Life Science Museum at Brigham Young University. I'm Katie Knight. And I'm Josh Day. Our mission here at the Bean Museum is to inspire wonder and reverence for our living planet. So with this podcast, we're here to bring you stories and interviews about life science research and projects going on in the College of Life Sciences at BYU and in the local community. Visit our website, mlbean.byu.edu, for more information and to access notes from each episode. Well, welcome to the Why Life Science podcast here at the Bean Life Science Museum. Today, we're going to be talking about sustainability at BYU, and we've got a few guests with us here. We've got uh, Ben Abbott and Brayman Leak, and we'll just first have these guys introduce themselves and talk a little bit about what they do here, and we'll go from there. So, Ben, why don't you start? So, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, but I actually grew up here 10 minutes away from the Bean Museum in uh, Orem, Utah, and... I now am a professor of uh, environmental science and sustainability at BYU. It's in the plant and wildlife sciences department. My research uh, ranges from the effects of climate change on Arctic and boreal ecosystems to uh, what are methods that we can reduce local air pollution and um, decarbonize the global energy system. I'm really interested in figuring out ways to uh, meet the needs of humanity while not degrading uh, the earth system. That's the thing that I found really exciting recently is just how many amazing things are going on in that space. Is sustainability now part of the title of the major? Yeah, we used to be um, just environmental science. Right. And that fit kind of what we were doing at the time, but more and more um, we've been focused on implementing environmental solutions. You know, what are ways that we can encourage and create sustainability? Last year we submitted a proposal to the university and they said, absolutely, this aligns with what you're doing now. So it now is the environmental science and sustainability program. It's interesting to see too, we had a, a, a really big jump in enrollment when students saw, hey, this isn't just learning about biology or hydrology or soil. It's learning how to create a sustainable society. We had an increase of almost 50% in this last year. Holy smokes. That's huge. That's really cool. It means that they're wanting to be a part of the solution. Uh, It seems like such a small change, right? Just adding a word to the name of the major, but what a difference that makes. That's really cool to see. So, Brayman, why don't you introduce yourself? All right. So I'm the Associate Director of Sustainability and Continuity here at BYU. That title is a little unique in that continuity involves resiliency. And resiliency is a word you hear much more now in the sustainability world than before. We want to be prepared for the climate threats that are coming, that are intensifying. And so how do we become more resilient as a campus? And so BYU has taken that unique approach. I'm a Kansas City native, a recent transplant from the East Coast, just moved here from New York City about two months ago. I've worked previously for Yale, Johns Hopkins, and the Natural Resource Governance Institute, which is a think tank in New York City. I have a journalism degree from BYU and an MBA in sustainability from the University of Oxford. Wow. Welcome. Glad to have you here. First, let's introduce this concept of sustainability. We've used this word now quite a bit already in just these few minutes that we started recording, but what does sustainability mean? And along with that, I'd like to hear the doctrinal foundations of it as well. So the kind of generic definition of sustainability is meeting the, the needs of current society in a way that doesn't degrade the ability of future societies to meet their own needs. So it's living in ways, um, working in ways, playing in ways that doesn't cause um, long-term degradation of the earth system. 
it's a really powerful idea. You know, I, I often use a spaceship as a metaphor when you're talking about sustainability. A spaceship has a life support system. And if you want to stay alive in that spaceship, you got to make sure that you don't mess with it, right? Some of us, maybe I'm showing my age here, but Apollo 13, right? That Tom Hanks movie, when, when you don't have the I CO2. I <laughs> <laughs> Good, I'm not the only one. When you don't have the CO2 scrubber, when you don't have your power source, they're real problems. And we literally, at some level, live on a spaceship, right? We're here on planet Earth together. It's this tiny planet that's inhabitable for humans. Only a part of the planet is, in, is inhabitable for humans. And so it's really crucial to figure out how are our personal and communal activities influencing the Earth system? Kind of global sustainability science is trying to figure out. Um, it's not an either or. That's a, that's a very common misconception that it's either societal well-being and the economy or the environment. Sustainability recognizes that the economy, our society, everything that we do depends on a properly functioning and healthy ecosystem. And so it seeks to support economic growth and human flourishing by protecting and uh, nourishing and sustaining the global ecosystems that allow us to be here. Awesome. Raymond, anything to add? Yeah, just to add on, on that, I, I think it's shifting our perspective from our immediate uh, personal needs to the greater needs of society and the world and other creatures and the earth. And in a way, it shifts us more toward a universal sense of belonging, right? Where do we fit in into this landscape and where do we fit into uh, on a longer timeline, right? Past, present, future. What impact can we have? What do we want the future to look like? And what are the things we can do now uh, to improve life for others, you know, beyond us? Great. Um, so how is it that both of you have now focused on that as part of your careers? Well, if I were to share a, sort of a personal wake-up call for me, uh, in my last full-time role at Yale University, I bought a home in Connecticut. Uh, it was one of those old, uh, you know, kit homes from the 1940s right on Long Island Sound, a beautiful location. The house needed a lot of work. And so I began that work myself. And uh, the city of Brantford, Connecticut, which is uh, near to New Haven, um, has a free city dump. If you have a truck or a car, you can back your car in and unload whatever you want, drive away, ideally guilt-free. And for me, it wasn't guilt-free. Um, you know, a few loads of uh, two-by-fours and old nails and uh, drywall. And I started to feel uncomfortable with my personal behaviors. And so, you know, finished the remodel and went to graduate school in England. And that's where I really started to focus on sustainability in the business world and looked particularly at circular models, circular models for the built environment, um, looking at some of the new technologies that are out there, um, looking at some of the best practices, some of the companies that are out there. I learned a lot. And I decided that after graduate school, I wanted to focus on a sustainability role. So um, for me, it really came down to uh, uh, returning to Yale uh, at the School of the Environment, which has been around for 100 years, or coming here to BYU and starting something new. And I feel incredibly grateful to have this opportunity. Um, ben was actually one of the people I interviewed with uh, leading up to that conversation. So we were well acquainted when we started on day one. And really, we've, you know, chatted almost every day and really hit the ground running. It's been a great partnership and great collaboration. That's such an interesting story, Brayman. I've had those same moments of like, 
this can't be right, you know, when you see the amount of, of waste or the negative effects of your actions. There's got to be a better way, you know. My interest in the environment generally started long before I knew the word sustainability. I was um, born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I remember singing primary songs, like about nature and also learning about how we're all a family. All humans are part of the same family, and even that non-human creatures have spirits, these, are, these really amazing doctrines sunk in, and they had a really big effect on me. The other influence is I love TV, and I watched a lot of TV as a kid. <laughs> we didn't have the fancy cable. We had what we called peasant vision, which was just what came <laughs> over the antenna. But on peasant vision, there were lots of nature shows, you know, National Geographic, Nature, Nova, and I would just religiously watch these nature shows. And I remember one time I... Uh, I saw an episode about the Grevy zebra, a subspecies of plain zebra that um, lives at higher elevations, and it was being really threatened by uh, land use change in sub-Saharan Africa. And I had this feeling. It was really interesting. It's one of the first times I kind of recognized feeling the spirit of God, but I had this feeling of like, wow, I don't want that, that creature to stop existing, you know, because because we're not living in a correct way. And I actually remember one of the first prayers that I remember was going to my window. I opened up the window to make sure that God could hear and uh, said this prayer, hey, please don't let the Grevy zebra go extinct. That was just a, you know, a kind of a personal and uninformed view. But I, but I think that, that that was actually the influence of God working on me, helping me realize the way that we treat the environment affects um, other creatures. It also, I since have learned, affects humankind in a really intimate way. There's amazing research uh, that has come out over the past couple years about the effects of environmental pollution. Approximately one in four deaths every year, about 15 to 16 million deaths a year, are caused by environmental pollution, mainly air pollution. One in four people who die globally every year are dying from our mismanagement of the global ecosystem. So I think about Christ's teaching in the New Testament about the two great commandments, that we're supposed to love God, that we're supposed to care and love for our neighbor as ourself. We can't do either of those unless we take seriously how are we treating the environment because that's God's creation, right? The way that we interact with the, the natural world is a reflection of our relationship with God. And then it simply is impossible to love our neighbor if we are polluting our neighbor's environment, right? If we're degrading their health and polluting their, their air and their water. Well, and I just thought of this, but the neighbor could be considered the, the environment, yep. you know, the organisms that live there are our neighbors. Absolutely. That's another interesting thing in, in the restored gospel where we see again and again, the Lord says, hey, I, yes, I absolutely have created this world to provide for you. And then very often it, it mentions and other creatures uh, right there in, in scripture, right? Yeah. So th- they have the same purpose as we do. And again, I, I love that, the way you, you spread that out. Um, to include them as well. Yeah. Curious, how old were you when you had that? I was, opened the window yeah. and said your prayer. That's so great. I was about five years old five. at the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, sang a lot of primary songs and watched a lot of TV. <laughs> and and where's the Grevy Zebra now? You know, it actually has rebounded some. There you it, go. Prayers are answered. There you <laughs> go. That's right. I had never, never recognized that. Thank you, Brayman. That's really cool. This path kind of started with a zebra, right? A subspecies of plain zebra, that you'd pr- never even seen outside of TV, right? That's part of what our goal here is at the museum, right? Is we give people those experiences, that that connection with the environment by coming to the museum, getting up close to some of these specimens that we have, 
even though they're not alive, right? You could get up really close and see them. You see the scale, right? Their size, you see textures and, and things on their, like their fur or their skin, hooves, horns, teeth, all that stuff, right? Up close. And our hope, right, is that by, by providing this kind of close-up experience that that connects people with nature and gets them to start thinking about the environment. And hopefully that kind of propels them further. Here I am starting a PhD now soon. So, you know, it, it works. It works. It really does. And I just, um, I've seen personally, and then I also am familiar with research on the importance of those kinds of experiences. Um, I bring my kids to the Bean Museum all the time. And they talk about that for, for days afterwards, right? It's really important mm. experiences. And if, if you follow people who had those kinds of opportunities early in life and all the way up through the undergraduate level, they live a, a, a completely different type of lifestyle. You can even quantify it in things like their water footprint, their um, greenhouse gas footprint. When you become aware of these things, it really influences um, your behaviors. And I believe that's because all of our brothers and sisters are, are good people, right? We have different beliefs and sometimes political affiliations or other differences are used to try to separate us, but we all want the, the same basic things, right? We want a good quality of life. We want a future for our children. We want a clean and beautiful environment. And so when I love that when you have an experience like that at a museum or in a class, that really can change, change your life. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to PBS, you know, for their, uh, <laughs> for their programming too. Okay. So now let's, let's talk, let's bring it back and talk a little bit about what sustainability at BYU has looked like up until now. So what is, what's the history of sustainability at BYU? It's been really interesting since I've been here to start uncovering some of the history. Actually, BYU is named after Brigham Young, um, the second prophet. Brigham Young commissioned one of the very first air pollution studies in the world uh, before Utah was even recognized as a state. Because of the topography here and the atmospheric chemistry, they were dealing with very bad uh, air pollution from burning wood and coal uh, in town. I didn't know that. That's... That's good. That's interesting to know. Yeah, yeah. there's a, a researcher at University of Utah named Logan Mitchell. If you look up, he has several uh, presentations and papers on the history of um, pollution research in, in the West. And Utah really was a, a, a leader in that, partly because we faced the problems early on. And so th over the pulpit during general conference said, hey, we've got to be more careful about putting pollutants into the air. We need to make sure these aren't getting into our houses. We need to only burn a certain kind of fuel. It, uh, really direct stuff, right? So from the beginning of the restoration, there's not this separation between like gospel and um, environmental stuff. It's all, it's all mixed together. For a very long time, it's been a part of BYU's aims to to care for the ecological environment. And, and Brayman will know that better. I can read it right now. I have it. Awesome. All Let's right. So this is from the aims of a BYU education. By the way, this is text approved by the BYU Board of Trustees in 1995. A BYU education um, should be spiritually strengthening, intellectually enlarging, and character building, leading to lifelong learning and service. Such an education prepares students who can make a difference in the world as parents, church leaders, citizens, and compassionate human beings. We're able to improve the moral, social, and ecological environment in which they and their families live. Very cool. So really central to, to the purpose of our university. And going back beyond that, um, I have a colleague here who sent me a talk by uh, Elder John Groberg. Uh, Elder Groberg is the um, missionary featured in the film The Other Side of Heaven. He gave a talk in 1979. And this, this is a person who was, is a general authority in the church, also who had seen some of the negative consequences for people about pollution. And he gave this whole talk about pollution 
1979 at a BYU devotional. And he has this incredible invitation where he says, you know, in my mind, BYU as part of the church should become the pollution control center of the world, not only spiritually, but physically. I feel that this is important. We take the gospel to all the world in a spiritual way. We ought to do it in other ways also. So really direct invitation. And he invited BYU undergraduates to focus on things that could help reduce pollution. And he talked about it simply can't be God's way that we're, we're meant to provide energy and other resources for ourselves while destroying creation. That's, to, that's not how God works. Uh, to, to use Brayman's term, it's always a circular cycle where the quote-unquote waste products at the end are actually the resources that you need to start again. Since that time, lots of really interesting student, faculty, staff, operations, facilities, the buildings on campus have been getting more and more efficient. We've switched the power plant. It used to be a coal plant. Now we're generating um, with a much cleaner gas plant that has cogeneration where we're producing electricity and heat for the buildings. A lot of student groups, there was um, a group named um, the BYU Earth Stewardship Club that's done a lot of really pioneering work. They focus a lot on the doctrinal basis and the spiritual um, importance of environmental sustainability. There's an interior peace that comes from living in harmony with God's laws, including environmental laws. And they've done really interesting work with service projects and connecting with the community. There also is a, a group of faculty that formed the Environmental Ethics Initiative maybe 10 or more years ago. They uh, got funding from the Nature Conservancy, a really uh, creative and effective conservation group, because they wanted to also encourage activities and exposure to these environmental ideas in a way that's not politically polarized. Right? A lot of people, when they first come across these ideas, they think, oh, that's a, a Democrat or a Republican idea. No, these are just true principles. Um, and we should, we should be seeking to implement those regardless of our political affiliation. I was just going to mention, you mentioned the Nature Conservancy. Uh, BYU partnered with the Nature Conservancy years ago to purchase the Lytle Ranch Preserve, yeah. which is, which is a, a nature preserve down in southwestern Utah that is managed by the Bean Museum. There's a lot yeah. of research going on there, down there. There's a lot of research yeah. going on down there. It's a nature preserve, and it's owned by BYU, and not very many people know that. Yeah, incredible, incredible, beautiful area. And, and again, it's a good example of how these partnerships among multiple different kinds of groups can do amazing things. There's another group that has emerged over the past few years called the Student Sustainability Initiative, mm -hmm. and they have been extremely effective at supporting BYU in understanding, hey, what is our ecological footprint? What are changes that we can make? So over the past three years, it's a completely student-run, independent group of uh, interested BYU students that have done an incredible job building a coalition, building trust with the administration, and then working in a collaborative way towards uh, sustainability. So that's, that's actually how this episode got all started and put together. So we had a student from the Student Sustainability Initiative contact us about our podcast and then from there, we kind of put this whole thing together, and we, that student, Austin, is here with us. Yeah, um, I'm Austin Lambert. I'm a member of the Student Sustainability Initiative. I've only been a member of it for this past year, and so it's been around a little bit longer. On campus, we've talked a little bit about it, but there's a lot of ways to get involved. There's an environmental science club. There's stewardship club. Uh, the Student Sustainability Initiative is a little bit different. Um, I like it because... It has a range of students from a lot of different majors. Rather than just students within the environmental science and sustainability major, the students that are helping to lead the group are coming from different majors. And so it's, it's a way to, to 
reach a lot of students that that maybe we wouldn't have that contact with if we were just keeping it within our major. Uh, as I'm a student in the environmental science and sustainability uh, major. What are some of the other majors that some of the students are in? Yeah, I actually know a couple that are in different engineering programs. Oh. And, and so I found that interesting, you know, civil engineering and, and mechanical engineering. Um, there's students coming from advertising programs and, and journalism. Yeah, I mean, we reach almost the whole campus with just this one student group. Austin, how did you get involved with that group? How, so how did you find out about it and how, what got you started into it? A student in one of my classes, we were collaborating on a project, and she just added me to the email chain saying when their, <laughs> when their meetings were. And so I got a, an email saying, hey, join our, our Zoom meeting for the Student Sustainability Initiative. And I was like, I have no problems with that. So I jumped on, and, and we started talking. And um, for a class that I was in with Ben, actually, uh, we had a project, and I had thought about doing a podcast as a way to communicate uh, a lot of the things that we've been learning in in our major, to other majors. And, and I was thinking that would be a good format to communicate scientific information. And, and so then it was with SSI, there's support of other students in there that, were, that also agreed. They said, hey, that's a great idea. That's a great project. Uh, we'd like to help out as well. And so it, it was this collaboration kind of coming together. And then I stumbled across uh, this podcast. And so I just sent an email like was mentioned. Yeah, and that was really exciting to get that email because I thought, you know, our purpose initially for this podcast was to just talk about, you know, the research that's going on in the College of Life Sciences. But as we've been doing our episodes, every single one has come down to conservation and sustainability because that's what the research is showing. It's a nice segue into this this collaboration that I think we can go forward with. So I'm, I'm really excited about a new partnership there. So, Austin, tell us a little bit more about what the Student Sustainability Initiative is currently doing. They're very active. I mean, I think that's one of the great parts about having students lead all the project is is when the student feels like they're the ones in charge, they, they kind of move forward pretty quickly. And so, I mean, you can just send a, a Slack message out and, and students will say, hey, we want to help. And so there's various projects we're working on. Um, there's student composting projects trying to, to help increase the access that students have for composting their waste rather yeah. than just throwing everything away. Not composting students. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's projects that are, are searching to reduce the waste on campus, whether it's cutting back um, styrofoam from different services on campus or even reducing the amount of paper towels used. And so they, they are coming up with these, you know, how can we measure how much paper towels people are already using and what can we do to reduce that use? There's a project, I'm just looking at our list here, there's a project for a student community garden over in uh, the Terrace Garden by the Life Science Building. And there's a reusable bag initiative just trying to figure out ways that we can encourage students to, to cut down their waste and live a more sustainable life by reusing bags they already have, things like that. That's awesome. How did this group get started? Just as Austin said, uh, students do things a lot more efficiently and <laughs> have more time and energy than sometimes faculty and staff do. About two and a half years ago, there were two students that came to my office, um, Derek Wilson and Allie Tuttle. They were in the environmental science and sustainability major. They were interested in this stuff. And they just had some questions about, hey, is there a way that we can positively help? We noticed that there's not great access to recycling. We noticed that there are issues with 
lights being left on, computers being left, just a lot of waste, right? That's costly for the university, and it also is bad for the environment. I started meeting with them, talking with them, and I, I said, hey, well, you should arrange a meeting with uh, some of the university administration, see uh, if you could talk about this, see where they need you. And I thought, okay, it'll probably end there. And then I heard back about 10 days later, and they had met all the way up to like the vice president level and had, had really productive meetings, gathering information about, hey, is there uh, ap appetite for this, openness to this? They even connected with facilities and started working with Bill Rudy at uh, BYU Recycling. It was just like amazing to see this whole army of undergraduates come together and work in a really unified way. And then the, the openness and support that they received from the administration was super inspiring. So they were able to uh, create a map of all the recycling bins. They even uh, redistributed where they were, getting new bins and then wow. making it much easier to access. Again, like I said, I, most people are good. They want to do the right thing. But it's, it's nice when the right thing is also more convenient, uh, when there's a nudge in that direction. And so th they've really been creative in doing that. Um, they also... Uh, are currently working on a, um, an analysis where they're looking at sustainability plans from universities around the nation and even the world, saying, hey, what, what are the leaders in sustainability doing? What things can we learn from them and what can we build on uh, making it really unique to BYU? That's awesome. And there's great partnership as well. M most of the landscaping now is done with compost that comes from BYU. So we collect the uh, pre-consumer waste in like the Cannon Center and other, other uh, restaurants on campus. And then we have free soil. It's a win-win-win, right, uh, in so many ways. Well, and that's part of the, the SSI composting project is just making the BYU composting process more accessible. It's really encouraging, right, that there are students stepping up and taking things into their own hands, right, to make change. Yeah. COVID has been this time of separation and isolation for a lot of people, and they've created regular events and meetings. They've all been remote, of course, uh, but they've, they've managed to create community, and that's another huge part of sustainability. We want to create a world where people can really flourish in all dimensions of their life. And seeing these students identify problems and things that are detracting from their quality of life and then working collaboratively to solve it is super inspiring. Absolutely. And I feel BYU is doing a lot and, and they are actively involved in improving the way that they, they go about things. But I think SSI and, and even such a small thing is changing uh, the name of a major to add sustainability to it when that's a focus of it. These are things that are, are small, but they just add more tools to this battle we're facing of improving the way that we live and preserving the earth. You know, and it's interesting, too, that, that some of these changes um, that BYU makes to be more sustainable, right, are also economically beneficial, Right, the, something like composting, not having to go out and source dirt from somewhere else, yeah. and renewable energy, things like that, more efficient energy uses. It's just it's all economically beneficial to the university on top of being ecologically beneficial yeah. to the environment, right? And that's been proven time and time again. We have even a local example with Weber State University, so just a, a hour and a half away to the north, and their office of sustainability is funded exclusively off the savings that they've provided for the university. Wow. And they started very small. They've that been is able, awesome. They've been able to grow to a national leader with the savings that they have provided. So they've at the same time reduced the ecological footprint of the university. That provides great learning opportunities for students too when they see and it's patterned in the campus itself, right? The campus is a learning environment. 
and then it helps the bottom line. That leads into, we mentioned, Brayman, that you work for the Sustainability Office at BYU. You want to talk a little bit about its history. and it's a, it's a brand new office, right? It's a brand new department. Well, uh, BYU has done a lot in sustainability for years. There's a website. Uh, most of the content was posted in 2012, 2013, where you know there's a sustainability office. What has changed is that now there is a, a full-time employee designated to coordinating all of the efforts here on campus, figuring out what's our long-term strategy, what are our goals, where do we want to be, what do we want to accomplish, getting everyone involved and really building that dialogue. And so, you know, to go back to SSI for a moment, I give the Student Sustainability Initiative credit for influencing the university administration to create this position. Uh, let's see, I was hired in, uh, in December, uh, moved here to Utah in February, so things are really moving quickly just in that short time since I've arrived. Lots of green lights, you know, um, sometimes change can take time. That's sort of my background is change management and communications. As I said, I was a journalism major here at BYU, but I've worked previously for, you know, Yale University, which was established in 1701. I uh, just finished up a grad school at Oxford, which was established in 1096. So, you know, BYU is a baby in comparison. We'll turn 150 years old in uh, 2025. And so where do we want to be? And uh, this ball is rolling. It's accelerating. Change is happening very quickly. And, um, you know, we want to be a leader in this space. We want to be a good neighbor as well. We're looking at what the city of Provo is doing. Uh, BYU essentially constitutes about a third of the city population. So, we want to be involved with them, working towards some of the same goals. We have another very large university just up the, the road in Orem, Utah Valley University. Um, they are also doing some strategic planning right now, so we'd like to be aligned with them, and we just like to get people on the same page and, and let people know that they can make a difference. Um, it doesn't have to come from the top down. Um, people can make change from the bottom up, as we've seen with, with the students, and I think that's really the mission of our sustainability program here at BYU is to instill those healthy habits in the students and the faculty and staff that are here while they're here so that they can make a difference, you know, throughout their lifetimes. You know, skip a straw one time for one meal, it doesn't make a difference. But if you do that over a lifetime and help others to do that, that's a lot less plastic, you know, not decomposing in the earth. So uh, small and simple steps. Absolutely. I love it. I was just, from all three of you, I've just got this kind of optimism and feeling of there's – there's good changes coming, yep. which often in the past when I've heard or studied or learned about environmental issues, I've felt more depressed and like, oh, we're just going to waste this whole earth and the future generations won't have anything to live on. Well, anyone want to speak to that, where, where that optimism is coming from? That's such an important insight, Katie, uh, you know, because... I think it's actually easy to slip off either end of the optimism scale. I also meet plenty of people who think that all is well in Zion. There's, right. There are no problems at all. And then I meet other people who are completely despondent, who really feel like we are at the end of the world. There's nothing we can do. It doesn't even matter if I skip my straw or ride my bike or do any of these things because we're too far gone. And the truth, as, as usual, <laughs> is is somewhere between that. Um, there, There really are encouraging trends going on. So I, I study a lot uh, global energy systems, and we're working on a paper right now. The cost of solar panels has decreased 99% since 30 years ago. Wow. It's decreased 90% since 10 years ago. Wow. 
Solar panels, of course, they're getting their energy directly from the sun. It's a, a, just a better technology in, in virtually every way than previous ways of generating power. And now it costs less than any other way of producing power. It's more economical than uh, even when you're considering transmission, storage, all of those things. There's a metric called the levelized cost of energy, and it is lower than natural gas, the second, the second cheapest. Actually, wind also just recently beat natural gas. So that means that in developing countries, they're going to be able to get more energy more cheaply to more people for zero carbon emissions. This, this huge sea change, right? Oh. Now it's more economical and more ecological to do that. And it, uh, it's actually really interesting to trace the, the um, how did that happen, right? Like how on earth does a technology decrease by 99% in in my lifetime, right? That's since I was crying and praying about the Grevy Zebra, it, it costs less than 1% of what it did then. I read a paper yesterday on, on this um, from a professor in MIT, and she pointed out that there was investment in research on the front end starting 50 years ago um, during kind of the, the oil crisis. And then a lot of partnership between universities, private businesses, but there also was the creation of a market. So there was some subsidy that was given to that. And that really encouraged innovation. Um, and just year after year after year, the prices plummeted where um, I actually talked to a lot of people who are not aware of this. They still think, oh yeah, renewables can't compete with fossil fuels. And so when I just show them the numbers, not from an environmental journal, but from an, an investment portfolio, you know, you go to like Lazards or one of these big investment companies and they show you, no, actually per kilowatt hour, you're, that's where the, that's where the money is. That's, a, that's a really encouraging thing that can change your perspective. It's this paradox Right? We're sitting right. at a point where we're not in a good place. I mean, like I said, 15 to 16 million people are dying every, every year. Uh, most of those from the use of dirty fossil fuels. That's the direct cause of, of those deaths. That's a really bad place to be. Also, we've got maybe um, about 200 gigatons of carbon or, or of CO2 that we can still burn to, to not surpass really bad tipping points in the Earth system for climate change. Um, last year, we burned around 50 gigatons of carbon. That means we got like four years before we go over this, this likely threshold. So there are real threats in the system. You know, uh, the message for, for me isn't everything is well and it's going to for sure turn out right. But the message is it can turn out right. And when I see the people that are dedicated to this and also the technology and economics, environmental science that's behind it, I'm extremely hopeful. I'm looking forward to the future. Uh, I interact with a lot of students who are anxious about their professional future, also the state of the world. And uh, it's exciting to see this renewable energy transition is going to create millions of jobs, oh. uh, high-quality jobs everywhere in the United States and everywhere in the world eventually. Uh, it's not just installation jobs. It's not just manufacturing jobs, though it is. It's big sections of those. Uh, it's also financing jobs. How can we give the, uh, the financial tools to people? Because a lot of these renewable technologies uh, are a little bit more expensive up front. So I often use the example of an electric car. An electric car right now does cost about $10,000 more than the equivalent car that's an internal combustion engine. However, over the lifetime of that car, the 5, 10, or even 15 years that you're driving it, it's much less expensive to drive the electric car. It's just a much more efficient and cost-effective technology. So if we can provide financing for people up front to get a loan to purchase that better option, it's just irrefutably better, then they can have uh, lower costs, higher uh, performance from their vehicle, no pollution, 
all of these good things. But, but it really is a matter of financing, um, and we need a lot of coordination across those groups. There also are issues with local uh, regulation, and that's why, again, if you're feeling depressed or frightened about the changes going on, the best thing that you can do is get informed and get involved. There's nothing more depressing than like doom scrolling on your right. device late at night, all alone, looking at how big the problem is. There is nothing that's more uplifting and empowering than calling your local legislator. I'm not talking about at the national level, even though that's, that can work sometimes, but call up your local legislator. They will answer the phone. They'll talk with you. You can express, hey, I heard this thing. I just read this study. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. We saw this happen just in this last legislative session where the Utah legislature was about to put a tax on, on uh, electric vehicles. And people call them, not only electric vehicle drivers, but others. They're like, hey, wait a minute. I like that when my neighbor's driving around, they're not creating pollution that my kids have to breathe on the road. Uh, and sure enough, the legislature turned around and said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to encourage that activity rather than discourage it. All is not well, but the future is bright if we choose that. Thank you. I love that. We probably should get close to wrapping up. You said that people need to get involved and get informed. And you mentioned some ways. What are some other ways anyone can speak to this to do those things? Some specific things, some takeaways. What can people do? I get this question all the time. What can I do to actually make a difference? Because people also are smart. Like they're good and they're smart. And they sense really quickly like, hey, this isn't actually going to solve the problem, right? Uh, <laughs> there's this really dumb debate going on, especially on like social media and, and Twitter, where people are saying, oh, do we need systemic action or personal action, you know, to solve this problem? Yeah. And I call that a dumb argument because the two behaviors are mutually reinforcing. You know, when you make a choice, so since I got here, I ride my bike to campus. Um, I made that personal choice. That, first of all, has been great. Uh, I felt, felt a lot more energy, health, healthy, cost me a heck of a lot less uh, to not have to pay for maintenance and registration of a car. But it also encouraged me to get involved with a local community group that was alternative transportation group that's working with city and state government. So that personal change led me to contribute to systemic change. And I'm not putting myself out as some kind of great example, but it they are not in conflict. So there are so many effective things that you can do at the personal level. One of them is ride your bike or walk instead of drive a car. Driving a car is extremely inefficient, um, moving around this huge chunk of metal and rubber. That's one of the biggest things you can do. Another one that's maybe not as intuitive is change the way that you eat. So uh, meat has a really, really big environmental footprint for nutrients, for water, and for greenhouse gases. So changing your diet just a little bit, thats pr it's pretty clear in the word of wisdom, right, that we should only eat meat when we need to. So it's right in line with gospel principles that, that the Lord has taught us as well. That makes a difference. So if you look at the agricultural carbon footprint of somebody eating the typical American diet versus somebody who's eating a mainly plant-based diet, it doesn't have to be completely vegan. But if you're mainly plant-based diet, you have an 85% decrease in the, the greenhouse gas emissions. Uh -huh. So that means you could feed 10 people for the energy that's feeding one person right now. And then again, because you're voting with your dollar, you're, you know, now you're going to be consuming other products that's going to create a market for those products and it's going to spread out and, and uh, encourage systemic change. We, we also do need those systemic changes. Like I said, we need more financing for these things. It's cheaper over the life of the solar panels to have them on your roof. Why doesn't everybody have them? <laughs> it's a matter of financing. So that's an example. We need the systemic things too that can support good, positive, sustainable personal action. But for me, don't even listen to the 
as uh, Taylor Swift said, right? The haters going to hate. I said, just, <laughs> just ignore them. We'll put a link to that in yeah. the show notes. <laughs> I think we've got our intro song right yeah, there. there right? That's right. Thanks, T. Swift. <laughs> uh, yeah, any other thoughts? Yeah. Ben? ben, you and I have both moved in the last two months, I think, right? And yeah. you're close enough you can ride your bike. And I uh, found, a, found a place right on the UVX bus line, which is Utah Valley's free uh, bus system, takes me straight to my office. But, you know, those things make a difference over time. If we can think about the impact of our choices and our behaviors over time, it becomes clearer if everyone on this planet, all 7, 8 billion of us, were doing the exact same thing that I'm doing today, what would the impact be on on the earth? It's uh, just kind of a simple reminder for me. But, um, yeah, I would absolutely agree with everything uh, Ben has said. Um, Knowing the issues is incredibly important, just informing yourself holding our politicians to account. So using your your voice and your vote to affect change, uh, you know, those are two of the most powerful things we can do. And don't stress out about it. I mean, find the joy in it. You can make a difference. And that is something to be happy about. Your choices matter. Your decisions matter. Your opinion matters. I think together we can all make a better, greener, safer, healthier planet for, for all of us. Absolutely. Perhaps one of the things that a lot of people find difficult with this is that it seems like a huge pill to swallow. Like, okay, now I got to go vegan. I got to sell my car and get a bike. I've got to like never use a plastic straw again. Right? Like, <laughs> if you were to do all these things at once, it's a huge change for most people to take it. Small steps, baby steps, right? Even those little baby steps are going to go a long way. One of the most important things is to become aware Mm-hmm. of what's going on, what, what are we causing, what, what are we sending out into the world, that allows us to become responsible for our actions. If we don't have that awareness, then we very easily can, can cause harm without knowing it. And, and those are two really fundamental gospel principles, right, of increasing Absolutely. in knowledge, then increasing in personal accountability and responsibility. So it absolutely is a big, a big thing to do. Um, but it's also a joyful thing, right? When yeah. it's when it's good work, uh, when it's leading us to be closer to our Savior, then you are a better person afterwards, and not in not in a kind of like condescending, ha ha ha, look, look, my car is better than yours, but in a way where you really want to be, uh, you want to know what things you're causing in the world, you want to be responsible for them, you want to support other people doing good things. It kind of reminds me of what you said at the beginning about there's a peace that comes with living God's laws and and. This is all part of yeah. his laws, is taking care of the earth he gave us. Yeah, absolutely. So we talk a, a lot here at BYU about uh, managing resources with reverence and with restraint and, uh, and with gratitude. You know, that BYU could be uh, a sacred space. I mean, Ben and I were speaking with one of the university administrators the other day, and he said that for him, uh, one of the college dorms here was a sacred space for him. He had had some meaningful experiences there earlier in his life. And so, you know, this is part of the the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So you can read about environmental stewardship and conservation in in, uh, in gospel topics. The piece on sacred spaces says, The earth and all things on it are the creations of God. As beneficiaries of this divine creation, we should care for the earth, be wise stewards over it, and preserve it for future generations. The earth and all things on it are part of God's plan for the redemption of his children and should be used responsibly to sustain the human family. I think it was just last year we had a church leader come here to to our campus, and this was in 2020. M. Russell Ballard said, I have noticed your commitment to a more sustainable future for all of God's children and creatures and the earth, whether it is environmental, economic, or social. 
And it's important that he mentions those three things, environmental, economic, and social. I would hope you will continue to find creative solutions to help protect the future for all of God's children in our world. We should do whatever we can to protect and preserve the earth to make life better for those who will live here. We have a, a divine stewardship, as noted in the scriptures. And so stewardship is maybe a word we'll talk about just as much as sustainability because it really reflects in the responsibility that we have as members of the BYU community and the BYU family and, and for many of us members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And there's a lot of great ideas out there. We'd love to hear from everyone. Anyone who has ideas, please reach out to us at sustainability at byu.edu. Great. I would just add to, to that is as you're going around and you're finding these sacred spaces and as you're learning more about the things that you can do to live a more sustainable life and, and what kind of stewardship God expects you to have, once you're finding these things, get involved. And when you come up with these ideas, there's organizations that, that will support you and you can support them. And, and I mean, that's pretty much how I got started on this podcast idea. And that's how the SSI got started. You can get involved if you're a student at BYU. It's not hard. They have an Instagram page and it has the link. For me too, I think nature is, is where I've kind of found my spiritual connection uh, with God and, and being outdoors. And, and so one thing to do is just take time to observe the world around you. And, and be grateful for what God has given us. And it helps come up with the motivation to, to change the way you live uh, when, when you really are grateful for all of God's creations. Now that we've pretty much finished this episode, I just wanted to thank Josh for being a part of this podcast. He's now going to be leaving the Bean Museum and starting a PhD program at Utah State. And so for the future, we'll be doing some episodes and some future podcasting with the Student Sustainability Initiative. And I'm excited to do that and continue talking about research and ways that we can be better stewards. So Austin will be working with us in the near future. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for, for joining us on the podcast. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.